Welcome to the Golfer's Journal Podcast, everyone, presented by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. My name's Tom Coyne, senior writer at the Golfer's Journal, and today we're trying out something new for us, something pretty exciting. We're dipping into the world of professional golf, not something we always do, and we're doing it in a format many of you are probably familiar with. Lately, we've been inspired by the Ringer's Rewatchables podcast about movies that we love, so we thought, why not take this idea and revisit some of our favorite golf tournaments? And of course, when you think back about favorite golf tournaments or tournaments that stand out vividly in your memory, Tiger Woods wafts into your imagination. And we thought, okay, well, which tournament of Tiger should we start with? And we were really drawn to, can anyone guess? Well, you guys know what we're going to talk about today. 2008, the U.S. Open uh, at Torrey Pines, the huge putts. Uh, playing on a broken leg, we found out later. Uh, the Rocco Mediate Monday playoff. Uh, it just, it had it all. So to break this all down, I've got two experts with me today. I've got the senior editor of PGATour.com, Sean Martin. And another friend that you all know, Chris Solomon, otherwise aka known as Solly from No Laying Up, also a Golfer's Journal contributor. Uh, so thanks for joining us, guys. We've also got our own, our very own Casey here to help keep our facts straight. And, keep, and uh, Case is also going to quiz us on some fantastic tournament trivia a little bit later in the podcast. Um, guys, how are you doing? Doing excellent here. We're in the Kill House, a uh, place where we've uh, recorded many podcasts before. Uh, some technical difficulties frequently uh, also on our end, and we got some done. And it's fun to hear you kind of stumble through some things, because as a host of a podcast, People don't realize how often that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially since I'm actually reading off something here, which I rarely do. Um, it, it's harder to read than just than to just make stuff up, don't you find? Oh, I've been making stuff up for like six years. I definitely agree. It's much yeah. harder to read, actually. Yeah, yeah. you know, because, uh, oh, I didn't get that right. But in any event, uh, you know, let's go back to tour. Well, Sean, how are you doing? I was told we're doing the 95 U.S. Amateur. <laughs> His, that's what his notes look like for this, probably. So he could fake it. What he's about to say, you could be, you could throw those names out for the ninety-five US and it would probably, it would probably people would nod along like, oh yeah, yeah, come on, I knew that. I thought Sean said that because of my hat. I'm wearing a ninety-five US amateur hat. Are you really? <laughs> yeah, he just looked up in astonishment. It's probably it. a little subliminal. I mean, Sean, I thought that last night you had a very romantic evening. Um, of all of us, I think you're the the one who um, had access to watch the whole, in doing our research, um, had access to watch maybe the whole thing. So last night you popped some bubbly, I heard, and sat down with the wife and, and watched some 2008 U.S. Open. How'd that go? Uh, the organic Charles Shaw. Well, oh, you paid the extra dollar. Uh, still a twist off. Uh, yeah, I actually, I guess I asked for the hour-long highlight film for my birthday that year. Uh, Did you really? That was actually the first time it was open, though. It was Dream big, kids. <laughs> Dude, go for it, man. <laughs> well, let's go back to a simpler time, uh, a, a simpler, better time in golf, to 2008 uh, and re it at Torrey Pines and the U.S. Open. Um, it was kind of a, a simpler, better time if you think back. So it's 2008, Tiger Woods. 2009, obviously everything changes um for tiger and the impact that that has on golf um it's sort of a time maybe kind of before i guess tw maybe twitter was around but it was b before sort of twitter the, the twitter noise and the twitter hate um and this was little did we know then that this was going to be tiger's 
last uh, big hurrah for a very long time. But what a hurrah it was. I mean, it's one of those events in golf. You can probably remember where you were when you were watching it or when it happened. Uh, where were you guys for the 2008 U.S. Open? Uh, I had been covering the event, but I left on like the 13th hole on Monday. Uh, <laughs> and so I was in the, I think I was in a cab to the airport, but we didn't know where my bag was. The hotel had lost it. Uh, and then just sat there. I remember doing a radio interview and had not seen the last five holes and just saying, yeah, Tiger did what Tiger does. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you had to wait till your 26th birthday to actually find out what, what did happen. But uh, let's dig into that a little bit more. Um, so how do you, you know, this obviously probably drags on a little bit longer than you thought the tournament would yeah, as in like an extra day. Yeah. No one's planning for that 18 hole playoff and then it just comes and ruins everything. Uh, I had a flight to Alaska. I did not want to miss. So we had enough people on the grounds. That was a golf week that they, it was in their capable hands. They didn't need me. Was it like the biggest FOMO ever like leaving that day? I don't, I didn't remember. I don't remember. I just remember they the hotel couldn't find my bag. And I just remember walking in and out of Torrey Pines between that and the Hilton down the road while this is all going on. You can hear yelling and screaming from tens of thousands of people. Uh, but I just wanted to get on an airplane. I I don't remember too much about it. Was that, I mean, from, from television, I can't recall ever watching an event that sounded louder on TV. I don't know if NBC is juicing the mics or the crowd noise, but does that stick out to you as the loudest golf event you've ever seen? I think I've talked to some guys about it today, and I think with Tory being such a big property, I think they sold a ton of tickets because you can fit a ton of people out there. And it's San Diego, it's golf, you know, crazy area. I think it was there were a ton. It's not like Marion where they did, you know, cut it back. There were a ton of people there. Yeah, I mean, Sorry, it's a I huge a property. No, it's a great question. It's such a big property. Watching the highlights today, I mean, it was so loud. Um, where were you, Solid? Do you remember? I was 21 years old. I had recently uh, just graduated from college and I had that whole summer set aside to study for the CPA exam. But this was also a time period where I could not have been distracted more easily. So it was like, oh, well, sh I got to watch US Open today. I can't study today. And Saturday rolls around. Well, oh, Tiger's in lead. I can't study today. Sunday rolls around. Like, okay, I'm, I'll do all. I'm going to get this test part of it done on Monday. Yeah, that didn't work out either. So I had to clear out my Monday, and then sure enough, I failed the exams like for like five straight years. Did so you? a lot of it is to bl Tiger to blame for that. This was one of many things that distracted me that summer. It all goes back to it. Solid the, the CPA. I, I, yeah, it was a serious life. It uh, it literally went down to the wire. I had to like pass it within my first five years of employment, or like basically almost lose my job. And I I passed it like with a month to spare. It was. Uh, it was pretty embarrassing. There you go. Let's dig, let's dig into the tournament a little bit. But before we get there, sort of in terms of setting the stage of what was going into the 2008 Open. So, Sean, tell us a little bit about, I mean, you were probably covering Tiger at the Masters that year as well. And that would have been the last time that we would have seen Tiger um, before the U.S. Open. Yeah, I was early in my golf career. I was at Torrey Pines. The reason I could leave probably was the bigger guns were handling Tiger. I was kind of the covering the obscure sports quarterly uh, edition of, of the PGA Tour, more on the amateur side. But it was, that was my first major I ever covered for Golf Week. Uh, but I just remember, I mean, that was the time when, I remember the tour was all Tiger. It was Tiger and everyone else and nobody was close. And like, that's all that mattered was, uh, was Tiger Woods. And I think when we see some of the names that were kind of involved and look back at who some of the big players in the world of golf then, we'll be rem reminded that 
uh, unlike today, I think when a lot of guys are kind of jockeying for number one in the world and guys are winning majors and big tournaments, uh, it was basically just Tiger and that was it. That was one of the takeaways I had watching some of the highlights. And I know that the highlight tape is like intentionally showing like kind of how crappy he was hitting the ball the first couple of days, but how much better he was than everyone else that he hit it all over the place for two days and was like, oh yeah, a couple birdies and yeah, now, now he's in the lead. Like yeah. he was that much better than everyone else. It's kind of like the best showdowns he ever had in this era. We're not against the Phil Mickelson's or the Ernie Els. It was like Bob May, Rocco Media were the two guys that gave him. It, so uh, Tiger's obviously like the greatest, and but at the same time, he benefited a lot from a weak era. And this this tournament, I think, kind of signifies that a lot. Yeah, and this is back in the day, that Masters, Trevor Lynn was probably 28, and that was like a young gun back then. Like, like oh, a young up-and-comer, 28 years old, versus now. He know. was like in the Nike commercial, I yeah. think. The Trevor, oh, Trevor Lynn won the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, here it comes. But just like, so you can pick up, if you took this version of Tiger and put him in today's golf world landscape, there's no way that he would have this run leading up to the U.S. Open, and I'm going to go through it as quickly as I can. He, this is end of 2007, beginning of 2008. Won Bridgestone, won the PGA, second at Deutsche Bank, won BMW, won the Tour Championship, won the Target Challenge, won the Buick Invitational, won the Match Play, won Bay Hill, fifth at the WGCCA Championship, second at Augusta. This is with the leg already injured. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he won the Target Challenge. He did that yeah. year. Yeah, he was. He was. He, he. You know, a lot of people forget that. You know, they don't. They don't count that in his big wins, but uh, it counts. Yeah, I mean, I think we think of like 2000 as... They won the Tavistock Cup, too, in that time period. <laughs> and the President's Cup. Uh, that was, so where we were in golf, Daniel Chopper won the, you know, at Kapalua that year and also was on the winning uh, Tavistock team. So, <laughs> but I mean, you look at like 2000 as his like magnum opus with the wins at Pebble Beach and St. Andrews, but really like this era when he was under Haney, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, there's different takes on whether the swing was good or not. And obviously he was driving it horrible, but... As far as consistency of just knocking off tournaments, I think he won like six PJ Tour events in a row, not to discount the target. Um, but, I mean, he was as consistently dominant. Didn't have the huge 15-shot wins, but was winning almost everything at this time. That's something that Haney always cites. is like When I was coaching him, his winning percentage was better than it ever was yeah. at, at any time. And it, like golf swing, I, I mean, I'm not a swing expert, but it looks like very polished in this time period. Not necessarily at, at Torrey Pines, but... It was built like the swing was built to be like, no, no, I want to win when I'm not at my A game. Yeah. I want to I want to win with my B minus game. And he did a lot of that. It, it was so under with the driver under the plane and just so blocky and late. And we saw a lot of flip that, it, flip it, basically. But the <laughs> it's also probably the worst swing for his knee at that time. If you look at it, because there's zero movement off the ball, it's sort of like a stack and then snap of the knee. Right. Stack Which is just snap. made watching it 10 times more gruesome which i think it was if i remember right part of the reason for getting away from butch was to be softer on the knee and i don't know if that ended up being the impact it also doesn't help it turns out like doing navy seal training also maybe not great for the knee and so people don't i i swear this clip has been scrubbed from the internet but there is a clip from the 2007 pga championship at southern hills and he makes this putt like it's it's a bomb putt and he does one of his like two-step tiger fist pumps and leans into it. And he steps on a sprinkler head. And he comes up limping from that clip. And I, I look back. I remember when that happened. I was like, oh, that didn't look good. And I've never seen it. I've never heard it cited as like, hey, that's when he hurt his knee or blah, blah, blah. I'm 
I'm sure he'd rather it be out there that he heard it in Navy SEAL training rather than celebrating on a golf course. But I look, I want to find that clip and look at it and be like, huh, that looked a little suspicious to me. Well, right. you're well versed in training methods. Uh, I think this is back when he was like running five miles a day, like in combat boots. So a lot, he claimed a lot of things. He claimed, uh, I think, 99 PGA at Medina. He ran like three miles that, sm- that morning or something like that. I never know. You never know That's what's doable. like. Right. Doable, but like, why? <laughs> yeah like, you do a little jog to warm up you went three miles why <laughs> so he's got the knee injury coming you know that shows up at augusta has a surgery this is the first time we see him at the u.s open um so you know but he's still i, I suppose you know still a favorite going in obviously because he's tiger at that time rocco mediate on the other hand uh comes in as a qualifier um actually has to make it through um a a playoff in a qualifier to even get into the open uh and then that week you have some so rocco mediate kevin streelman and i know um uh sean that you wanted to talk about uh justin hicks as well of course yeah just uh interesting story just in that justin hicks was this nationwide tour now corn Ferry, a guy who held the first round lead and uh apparently earlier that year you know the club pro gets into the local event every every week and uh and so there was a Justin Hicks, a club bro, who played at Torrey Pines in the Farmers Insurance Open or Buick Invitational, I think it was back then. Uh, and apparently they were, like, getting checks mailed to each other. So, like, Justin Hicks, the club pro, is getting, like, the nationwide tour winnings of Justin Hicks, the nationwide tour player. <laughs> Seriously? And then Justin Hicks, the club pro, gets into Torrey Pines, so the PGA Tour withdraws him from the nationwide tour event that week. Uh, and then apparently Justin Hicks, the club pro, was watching Justin Hicks, the tour player, like, at the U.S. Open that day. So just all kinds of... That's Eventually, wild. they made him E Hicks was the club pro to end, <laughs> end, that, <laughs> end that confusion. I could I could safely say Sean and I's preparation for this podcast could not have been more polar opposite. <laughs> I thought I was underprepared. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do know that you know. So the first thing, what's interesting about the tournament? I mean, there's so many interesting things about it, um, but it starts off, you know, with the leaderboard is it's Justin. Hicks and Kevin Streelman, um, you know, there for. You Are know, there, Tom? Can I touch on two things from practice rounds that yeah. that I had uh, had jotted down? Whoa. One was uh, I did a little preparation here. <laughs> Come <laughs> on, <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's a great story from Hank Haney's book that he tells about. They get to the. I mean, it was a huge question mark, right? Because Tiger came in, and the doctor, Doctor Rosenberg, had given him like a knee brace to wear, and he like was trying out trying to hit with this brace. And it just turns out he could not hit golf balls with this brace. So he came in, you know, kind of back and forth whether he was going to do it. And he just said, I'm going to, I'm going to play through the pain. No brace gets to like the first, they go and get to the hotel and the, the, where he was staying was near like the ninth tee and they go out and he hasn't seen, like he's not hit a ball with Stevie since the Masters. Stevie hasn't seen him hit a ball and they go up to nine and he just first swing, just flip hooks one out of bounds. And he looks over at Stevie like with a deadpan straight face. He goes, Oh yeah, we got a new miss now. <laughs> Actually, yeah, with the knee brace, he tried playing with it at a uh, somewhere in Irvine, a uh, big canyon, I think, and shot like forty-five for nine holes with the brace on. 50, that was fifty-three. Your first error of that. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, allegedly, lost eight balls and shot fifty-three on the front. That still seems high. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, is that possible? I don't know. Anything over thirty-two in that era, same right. time. Yeah. So, so that that. 
I was one the, the brace and the uh, and the the snap hook out of bounds. I just love the the little comment like, oh yeah, we got a new miss now. Because Tiger in this era especially, he always played from the right side of golf courses. He did not miss left when th- when he was winning. He was not on the left side of golf holes. And you right. watch the highlights. He is left of so many holes, especially number one, which I have a feeling we're going to get to. Yeah, uh, and he I do want left a lot on number one. Uh, Sean, pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty term impressor. We haven't seen him since the Masters. Most dominant player of the era. Uh, you know, gets to meet with the media first time in months. He's had knee surgery. Uh, the first question uh, offered to him is: This past January, you won at the Buick Invitational. You were first, and second was a Japanese player, Ryuji Yamada, who is one year younger than you. Uh, basically. What do you think of Ryuji Yamada was the question, which <laughs> anyone from the work knows I'm a big Hideki guy. So I, we may have started a, a Twitter handle at uh, can Ryuji win, I think. <laughs> this is like this is like uh, something is coming full circle here. I, I'm willing to bet that was you in the presser that asked the question. You just don't. <laughs> I agree because yeah. you wanted to tell the story someday. So and what about Ricky Fowler, Sean? This is kind of Ricky Fowler's uh, kind of coming out party of just he shoots 70 in the first round. He's kind of the hot shot amateur guy. You know, we're talking about there's kind of a, a dearth of young uh, stars at this time. And Ricky had just finished his freshman year at Oklahoma State and uh, local guy, big crowds, shoots 70s in the top 10 after the first round. And uh, the actually the orange starts at Torrey Pines this year. He bought a pair of orange pants at a thrift store uh, and wore them at the tournament. Uh, and, and here wow. we are. Get I never out. Knew that. Also in high school, his uh his license plate was white belt, uh because he was big on the white belt trend as well. So. Dude, <laughs> it started. So the orange starts at Tory Pines. That's what we should be talking about, folks. Not this. I will say, white belts in this time period were hot. Oh yeah, they were real. Jay hot. Lindbergh, white belts. Uh, this is a, it was basically some... a, the only goal I had in life was to like look cool wearing a white belt. I'm still you still I see people. Them. I mean, let's be honest, people still wear them. Is it a total? And I've got one hanging in the closet. Is it a total, total no go? I mean, with black uh, pants, sometimes I feel like it's—I don't know—I I feel like I have to. You are subjecting yourself to Tron's vitriol if you do wear a white belt. There's that's so many things in life that will subject you to Tron's vitriol, though. Right. I think. That's just an easy one. Like, okay, I'm not going to do the white belt. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, white belts aside, um, you know, Tiger. Not only is it the bad knee, but I mean, it's kind of a cool story that he find well, that he finds out. Before the tournament, you know, that he actually has the stress fractures, stress fractures. Um, and the doctor tells him, you know, him and Haney, you know, are hearing about this. And the doctor says, well, you know, it's it's eight weeks off your feet resting. Um, and Tiger says, screw that. I'm going to win. I'm playing the U.S. Open and I'm going to win it, um, which is just it's so cool. Um, I mean, that I think. There's there's a lot of stories around the tournament of you know where Stevie tells a story or um, Tiger talking to to Hank Haney about you know his confidence in that I'm I'm going to win this even in the physical shape that he was in I miss that man I, I it, that we were so fortunate to be to watch that golf to be golf fans at that time I think uh, and I think this was the culmination of it really 2008. Well, it's not even, you know, I, th- I view golf, especially like these days. I know Tigers made obviously a comeback and won the Masters this year. But at this time, especially Tiger transcended way more than just golf. I mean, it was he was the biggest athlete in the world. And the, obviously the fall from grace hasn't happened yet. But I mean, the, I, I don't have it in front of me, but the ratings differences then for when he was in contention and when he wasn't 
are have to be even greater than they are now. Because I feel like people don't flock to a TV to watch him in contention these days, nearly at the same level that they did at this time. Is that fair Fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think we're at like the height of Tiger Woods myth-making at this time. This is when like he didn't give a lot to the media, answers-wise. I was looking back one of the transcripts, and uh, it's going through, and someone says, you know, did they tell you that you could further injure it, Tiger, if you played? No words in the transcript. Just says in parentheses, nods head affirmatively. Uh, and then someone says, is that a yes? And then he just nods his head again. Like, this is like Tiger Alpha like just toying with everyone, players, media, like he just owns everything. Like he is golf and like golf is him. It was a dick. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, he was just, he was a dick. <laughs> he, yeah, he ran the roost. <laughs> he did. And let's talk about the tournament itself um, as, as it unfolds, you know, eight, first 18, you know, he's there, but he's playing with, I guess, with Mickelson and um, Adam Scott. Yeah. I did want to go back to the grouping real quick. This is kind of the first we've seen of like these star pairings. And we right. have feature grouping now. Uh, they called it the dream pairing uh, at the time was the term they used. One, two, and three in the world ranking, Tiger, Phil, and, and Adam Scott, who, I mean, like nowadays, like number three in the world ranking is John Rahm, who's won like three times this year and contended in majors and, and like had a ton of top threes in the like, second half of the year. Back then, it was Adam Scott who won, like I think I looked, it was the Cutter Masters and like one PGA Tour event. And that was third in the world. Uh, and this is what we're talking about, where you just don't have the same level of competition for Tiger, I think, that you do now. But, um, yeah, I think the, the start of the dream pairing, I think, is a big impact as well on this uh, this Tiger, uh, this or this victory, I should say. Well, things flip really, you know, he, he kind of hit it all over the place on Thursday, but scraped it around. And then Friday, he starts on the back nine, and it's it's going very poorly. Flips over to the front nine and sprays one way right, which he had he had doubled. The first hole um, on Thursday, he do- he doubles it, I think, again on Saturday and Sunday. Um, but sprays one way Ray right this time, and his ball is a foot from the cart path. And if he takes, uh, it's a foot right of the path. So he's standing on the concrete cart path with metal spikes on. And if he takes a drop and relief from it, he's going to be directly behind a tree. So he's going to hit a ball off the, not off the cart path, but with a with two fractures in his in his leg. He's going to, in metal spikes on, going to hit a ball with two feet on the cart path. His right foot slips and all of his weight shifts to his left foot as he hits it, you know, a sick hook up and it goes on the green. But Stevie Williams described it later that he heard the bones crack. Like the ligament in his left knee is gone. So there, his, when he's wincing, it's like bone on bone pain. And Stevie Williams heard it. Now, that might be myth. Like, I don't know if I believe that or not. <laughs> but Stevie claims that he heard it. And he goes to him after that and says, like, hey, man, like you are you could ruin the rest of your career. Like you need to withdraw from this tournament because he's coming off several bogeys on the other side. He's like, let's just let's just call it, man. And let's get this taken care of. And Tiger said to him, fuck you. I'm winning this tournament. Yeah. Back to that, like, whole myth thing. You got to realize, too, it's because it's at Torrey Pines. Like this is a place that he played junior golf, uh, attended his first PGA Tour event won a ton like he said that basically he did this because it was at Torrey Pines if this was like Wingfoot or Oakmont like he may not try to play it um it's because of what this golf course means to him in his career which it would have been funny to see how many he would have won by without like a broken leg it would have been at least 10 I think yeah not to mention he's seven shots down going into that that side after he sprays it right (laughs) right yeah so he sprays it right that shot off the car path it all sort of seems to turn there you know he has a huge um you know, he's a great finish that day. And then I guess it's the back nine on Saturday as well um, where things get really crazy. Yeah, I mean, that 
it's still memorialized in GIF form. That's the uh, tiger kind of taking his hat off, laughing GIF is that chipping yeah. on seven. He basically one hops it probably like 15 feet high. Well, it start. It really goes back to the big memory of that day for me is the 13th hole and Johnny Miller, and mm. we miss him every single day because, and this is like, I remember my dad saying this when we were watching this. He's like, well, just listen to Johnny Miller. Like, watch how often he properly predicts like mm. the two the two ways that things some things could play out. And when he when Tiger's hitting his approach shot, he flipped one. He was way left of 13, and the pin's in the very front of the green. If people that may not know the hole, like. It goes way uphill to this green, and it's the green slopes from back to front. So the pins are dangerously in the front. He hits a great shot, lands it near the hole, but it rolls all the way to the back. But before he hits that shot, Johnny Miller says, an eagle here could flip this entire golf tournament. Well, if anybody could get the job done, Raj, and you had your choice of who to do it. I'd pick him. I think you got the right guy. I'd pick him. And this eagle, if he were to somehow get it, I think would change the whole uh, championship. I really do. This could be the one. And it's just kind of chilling to look back at because yeah. we all know the highlight. We've all seen it from the 50 footer from behind that. The, and Johnny says this before he hits the putt. If he misses this, he could be run it 50 yards past the pin. Like it could literally run down to the bottom of the hill and it goes in the hole. All of a sudden, the leg pain seems to not be there because he's sprinting around that green, double fist pumping, and uh, so he makes one eagle there on 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 there on thirteen, and then gets a seventeen and chips hits the chip. He, he got way too much ball on this chip, but my uh, the the thing that sticks out to me the most from that moment is the dude in the crowd that had the best moment of his entire life, <laughs> the best call that's ever been made. There's a dude in the crowd that just goes. One time, yeah. and it one <laughs> was right in the hole, and it just that crowd too. I love when announcers get like a oh, and I think it's Roger or, or I forget who it is, Gary Coke, Gary Coke near the hole, it just yeah. says, oh, you be oh, the announcers. I go back to like uh, when LeBron had that dunk in the playoffs, and uh, I forget who it was. I think it was uh, Michael Collins and someone else that were like. Oh, LeBron James with no regard for human life. That moment, that reminds Kevin me of Harlan that. Exactly. Ke- yeah, yeah, that's Kevin, right. Over that's Kevin right. Garnett. Yeah. Casey's all over yeah. this, man. Well, if you remember, on 13, Phil was in a few groups ahead of Tiger, and he came up short on 13, and he hit three <laughs> flops that came back even farther than where they started. So that was that pin was diabolical, yeah. and Johnny has the sense to say, he can make eagle from the right rough. It was a it was a gnarly, twisty little lie. Like who who's thinking of making <laughs> eagle there? You know, yeah. I was listening to some of the Johnny calls, you know, today, and the one where he uh, where he he says Rocco looks like Tiger's pool guy, uh, the guy that cleans <laughs> the Tiger's pool, and uh, and he and then he throws out another one. You know, guys named Rocco don't put you don't put a name like Rocco on the U.S. Open trophy. I thought, you know, I'm like damn um do you say uh, they, it just stood out to me for a second i'd like do we what if you say that in 2019 does twitter just explode or what yeah it explodes but like in the best way like yeah. that's what i i love people that will talk to you like you and i would talk in a bar right yeah, i mean right. i 
announcers doing impressions of announcers is not interesting. And that's why people loved and hated Johnny Miller. And Johnny Miller's not afraid to be hated. Mm-hmm. And there's some and in, in Johnny's defense, Rocco's literally wearing his credential like on I his know. sweater. I know. It's all <laughs> and he has like Dan Hicks even says something like he has more pins. He has pins on his hat like he's collecting them from Olympics events. Yeah, he, like, he looks 60. like one of those people at Disney World. He's got pins all over his hat. Yeah. yeah, but but credit to NBC. Like this is like one of the great golf. Here we are, like kind of rehashing the story. It's one of the great golf stories of my lifetime. Here they are, like telling that story of this is this is not a guy that should ever beat Tiger Woods. So things like that are setting the scene for somebody that's tuning in to watch the US Open and be like. No, Rocco Media should not be able to compete with this guy. And Rocco's a guy that can take something like that. He would tell you himself, like he's I had no business beating that guy. Are you kidding me? Right. So I think it was all it was all fair play. I think uh announcers in this day and age would probably be afraid to say some some of the things they said that week, but that's what made it great television. So yeah, I think if Rocco I don't think he would have been offended. He'd be like, Yeah, that's true. I do a yeah. mega pool guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Tiger's doing his thing. Now, other folks, you know. Kevin Streelman and Justin Hicks, they're not uh, relevant at that point. Uh, Stuart Appleby, 36-hole leader, fades. Some guys are putting up some big numbers. It's Torrey Pines. It's playing really difficult. I mean, still the leaders are around minus one even. Um, but there we have Rocco sort of quietly moving his way into position. Lee Westwood as well. Uh, what about some of the other players uh, that week that were, you know, because of what Tiger's doing? making you know the the eagles the chip in they're you know they don't come back to memory but um you know there's other players fighting their way in uh into that well into a playoff or in lee westwood's case almost into a playoff yeah it's not discussed enough that this was dj trahan's best shot at a major (laughs) (laughs) but it really i mean he was all over the he finished like fourth uh, Did he really? Oh yeah, he is. He is thick into this uh, in the procession here, uh, mm-hmm. as well as Robert Carlson, uh, Ryder Cup stalwart. He was he was good. <laughs> Carlson was a guy back then, but yeah, I think he was in Tiger's group on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I think he called it like the most he'll never forget. Basically, playing at being part of that round, which is definitely understandable. Well, and John Merrick finishing tied for six. That's the first time hearing of that. Big John way. Merrick guy, <laughs> DJ Fajowski. <laughs> attribute that with big John Merrick guy. It is amazing how your memory just kind of shifts, right? I mean, some of the names up there in the top five, I could not have picked out of it. I couldn't pick them out of the lineup because you just, uh, you're so focused in on what, how it finishes. And we all know how it finishes and who's there at the very end. And I don't remember Robert Carlson or DJ Trahan or Carl Pedersen. Didn't, or didn't, didn't Lee have a putt on 12 to go like two up on Sunday? Yeah. Two yeah. ahead. And oh, he yeah, missed it, it like a five five footer that he missed the hole yeah. by five feet. Robert Carlson's one of those guys who a couple years I mean he liked the top ten in the world and a couple years later withdrew from the open because he like couldn't get it airborne basically. Couldn't take the club back. I that's think what it was. Yeah. yeah, he like had a had a something mental go. Well around. that's because he said his natural the ball flight he saw in his head was always straight. And oh. everyone knows that it's not possible. So when it starts going left to right, it's hard to find a uh, new visualization. Also John Merrick shares a, a name unfortunately with the elephant man. Maybe what he's best known for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> takes a big sip of beer after that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. That brings back a Bare Naked Ladies song, right? Um, John Merrick's remains. So uh, we see what's going on Saturday coming to Sunday. Now, you, you know, you, you kind of forget that Westwood has a chance to take control of this thing. Uh, 
mediate is is leading and it's it wasn't tiger you know out in front tiger- one quick note on uh on saturday and tiger hitting tiger hits a hits the green in two this is after eagling 13 and after chipping in on 17 in the uh in the highlight video that i watched it, it shows kind of just some clips of the run that Tiger was on leading up to the uh, the U.S. Open, and one of them is the Buick Invitational, which was earlier that year at Torrey Pines. And Tiger has a putt on Sunday. So the Sunday the sat the the pin they use for the U.S. Open uh, on Saturday is usually the Sunday pin for what is now the Farmers that front right pin. And he has a putt from almost the exact same spot that he hits the putt the eagle putt from on 18. And if you watch that putt. I remember watching it and it breaks right early and it looks like it's going to miss right. I mean, for the television camera, you can't tell that it actually it's a double breaker and comes back left. But he hits the putt in the Buick Invitational and it breaks right and then it curves back left at the end and goes right in the hole. I got the chills watching that because there's maybe not a clip I've gone back to watch more often on YouTube than the eagle putt he had on Saturday Mm -hmm. because that is the loudest I've ever heard a crowd on television. I mean, he drains an eagle and Dan Hicks, as soon as it goes in... There's your leader. And it was just because at that time, you got to remember, never won a a major from behind and never lost one with the lead. So getting that lead again was whether it was, uh, you know, an actual reality for golf fans. It felt like winning the tournament right there. It felt like he couldn't lose with the lead and he couldn't win from behind. So making that putt in a lot of people's eyes decided the championship. Sean, how loud was it there on that, on that putt? He, he was out he following. Left, yeah. he was, he <laughs> he he left by then for Alaska. I think uh, Michael T- Thompson was making a run in the low amateur race. And I was <laughs> probably interviewing him. <laughs> uh, no, that is that is the best. I mean, that in the in the chip and in Augusta are the two um, you know Tiger moments that I see most clearly, <clears throat> certainly in my memory for sure. But Sunday does come around, and that legacy of the fifty-four hole lead is in jeopardy. Um, so, watching Sunday, did what, what, what? he snap makes double on the on the very first hole? First hole, makes double, and there's the lead gone. A single hole and win a U.S. Open. It's unfathomable, just that alone. And Hank Haney wrote about this too in his book, just about how, un, I mean, he, he's unbelievably complimentary and praiseworthy of Tiger throughout it and his abilities, of course. But he was amazed at how the guy that's literally probably the greatest ever to do this would get first tee jitters. And like it, it was a very real thing. And it's always been a thing throughout his career. And to miss that tee shot as badly as he did so many times. I mean, Johnny Miller is going off about this. He's just like absolutely, he sets the scene so well. Again, if you can't tell me, huge Johnny Miller fan, but he sets the scene so well for like this is stunning. I mean, he made double bogey. He was he plays like he plays like playing like a ten handicap right now. Hits it off a tree, chips up short. He had to make a putt for double actually, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like a, okay, well we thought it was going to be like a cruise, and it is not the case. How about how about the next day on Monday? Skipping ahead just briefly, he hits he gets a kick out of the right rough on yeah. the playoff on, and throws his hands up sarcastically yeah. like. I did, like when do you see Tiger locked in in a playoff, <laughs> like play around like that? Yeah, you know, that's also, how bad it went. And on Friday when he started on ten, he made bogey there, so he played his opening hole in those four rounds in seven over par, and it was eight under par the rest of the way. <laughs> so would have won it by. I mean, like Solly said, like if his knee was okay, would have won it by ten. Wow, legitimately. Yeah, the um, you know, so coming to 
18, The Great Call by Dan Hicks. Uh, expect anything different? Um, where's that rank for you among the great calls in golf history? Expect anything different? Uh, not that high no? for me. I mean, it's in our podcast intro, but like, uh, it was it's good if you hear like I actually asked Dan about it and hearing his explanation for it like hey did you plan that out and he said no and it was just like it's just what came to me it said like like of course he's gonna make it like why would you expect anything different and when he said it like that I was kind of like oh that's actually pretty cool but I I don't maybe Jim Nance is maybe cynical about uh, about calls because I always feel like people have them too scripted and it right. kind of felt like that way but uh, I mean it's definitely definitely memorable. Well, and in watching the highlights yesterday, I thought I made this great observation and realized that many other people noticed it. But 11's this long par three. Tiger hits like this high cut five iron to a pin on the left to like a foot. Uses like a, a slope, runs it down there. I mean, just stiffs it, makes birdie. Uh, and as it's rolling close, Dan says, would you have expected anything else? So hmm. also he, uh, hmm. floating it out there, getting crowd reaction. He's testing his material. Yeah. It's like going to the comedy. himself. I do it often. Um... So that's is, yeah. So he makes the putt on eighteen. Well, before the putt, sorry, uh, terrible drive on eighteen into the bunker, right. and really bad layup out of the bunker. It looks like he's really trying to force the angle down the right side when there really wasn't much of a point to it. And I honestly, I look back at that the lob wedge that he hit, and and I don't have the the data in front of me, but I think he wanted to hit sand wedge, and Stevie talked him into lob wedge. That was Stevie's big claim. Yeah, it was that. Let's go hard after the lob wedge. Like, I'll risk my career on this. Like, right. it's lob wedge. Trust me. And I look back at that shot, and I think, like, that shot is why they had to change the grooves on golf clubs. How did that spin? Because know, it it's out of the rough with the lob wedge at the U.S. Open, yeah. the firmest green probably play all year, and that ball spun back. I think they, after that, they were like, uh, okay, I think we might need to change a couple things. But to get spin on that shot, I mean, he even said it in the, in the audio back and forth between he and Stevie before he hits it, he's like, the, he says it's too tight. The gap's too tight. Like I don't have room. I don't have room for this shot. And he wanted to play past the hole, and that's where Stevie's like, "No, it's lob wedge. Like, hit lob wedge." And yeah, it hits it 15 feet right of it. And then also Westwood had a putt at it. I mean, we didn't really cover like this was Westwood's yeah. to win. I mean, he got to two under around the turn. He sculled a bunker shot at nine. Hits a pull hook into the ice plane on 13, which Tiger did as well. Uh, and then he has a putt that he leaves basically a, a roll short on 18 that. Uh, I mean, Westwood's a guy, he reached number one in the world, obviously, but I was looking to uh, eight top threes in majors from 2008 to 2013. So, I mean, just the guy for not winning a major maybe is one of the best ever to not win one. He also hit an, an atrocious wedge on 18 yeah. to there. Not I mean, known for his short game. Well, yeah, well, yeah, thank you, Sean. But this fit in at the time of like, oh, yeah, everyone will. Uh, you will when you're coming up against Tiger. Right. Like Everybody wills. Top players have, in the world. Did he have a shot to go for the, did he lay up or did he have a shot? I forget where he was at, but he laid up. You were covering the tournament, Sean. I was, well, I was, but I was probably at that time I was following, uh, I don't know, Steve Stricker. Or someone. <laughs> I do actually remember a uh, side note, Ian Poulter withdrawing in the second round and yelling at me when I approached him off the side of the 18th fairway for comment. <laughs> what did he yell at you? Just not now. <laughs> <laughs> not now. I'm trying to catch a flight back with Tiger. Yeah. So Westwood, his putt comes up short. Tiger makes his, gets in. So Westwood doesn't get in the playoff. Tiger does, you know, going into that. And of course, Rocco famously says, I knew he was going to make it. Um, and going he says into two things. Unbelievable. I knew he'd make it. And right. I always, every time I 
that, I'm like, hey, Rocco, it's one of the two, man. Right. It's, one, like, <laughs> yeah. it's not both of those. It's either very believable, I knew he was going to make it, or unbelievable, I can't believe he made that. If Rocco hit that putt with that speed, do you think it goes in? Doesn't uh, touch the hole. I, I don't know. But that's the thing, too, of it. Rocco obviously played incredible, but he had two chances on back-to-back days. You make four on 18 on Sunday, you win the U.S. Open. You make four and we'll get to that on Monday, you win the U.S. Open. And I'm sure that's the, probably the biggest regrets that he has will come down to how he played the 18th hole uh, both of those two days. Yeah, so let's talk about Monday. I mean, did you give Rocco a chance? No, all I remember, I remember he walks onto the driving range with like a just venti, like some sort of ice drink from Starbucks. And I'm like, you're about to go head-to-head with Tiger Woods in a playoff for the, your first major championship and you're pumping your body for like full of caffeine like it just doesn't seem like a good idea well there's two things i want to before the round even starts one he shows up in a red shirt and black pants and on the first tee tiger says to him nice fucking shirt <laughs> which is awesome <laughs> two does tiger pack yeah. two red shirts or did someone launder it sunday night for him i thought that's, i wondered that's, the same thing he's got a he's got to yeah. pack two if, if something goes were, wrong with the one this was pre-scripting days. We didn't have like the Monday scripting on Twitter because Twitter didn't exist yet. Well, also leading up into this, you know, Scott Van Pelt is interviewing Rick Riley, and it's like, what what are the chances like of you know Rocco beats Tiger Woods? And and he goes into some, yeah, it'd be like Rick Riley's like, oh, it'd be like T- Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson, which is so 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 dumb. Like, Buster Douglas was forty two to one, I think, to beat Mike Tyson. And in that Tiger's playing on a broken leg, what what do we think the I mean not what the actual betting odds were? If you had that information, that'd be awesome. But like the actual chances of, of Rocco winning were probably like at least thirty five percent, I would say. Really, you think? I mean, seventy two whole time frame he tied Tiger Woods. Why can't he tie him or beat him for eighteen more? And he mm. had him. He did yeah? He did. I mean, it gets it gets tight on when they're walking off fourteenth green in this playoff. It gets tight, and yeah, you, I think you can kind of see in Tiger's head going, I mean, he's shocked at this point that. Like betting, I would have to think you could have got at least four to one on Rocco. Yeah, four, yeah, I'd say that. Hmm. But I'm guessing his actual, you know, data golf. If we were following data golf, we can have him look it up if we want to. Rocco right? said, "I don't know how you would even make odds on that." Hmm. 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 Maybe not. <laughs> Did Rocco also say, "I'm like Buster Douglas and he's Mike Tyson"? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, Rick Riley also said it was like Titanic versus uh, Iceberg, I think, <laughs> as well. Too um, soon. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's way too soon. Um, so Rocco, you know, he, he gets the lead on Monday. Um, you know, things are getting – he certainly – you know, afterwards he said, you know, I, I made him nervous at least. I, I think he was scared for a little bit there. Um, Rocco missed a really short par yeah. putt on nine to go two down. Yeah. And he was three down with eight holes to play, and he ties it up four holes later. Yeah. Like the most nuts, I know Tiger wins, and Tiger has all these nuts, most nuts moments. But maybe the most nuts moment of the tournament, and we don't look back at it this way because he doesn't win. But Rocco's birdie on fifteen, it yeah. was a like a bomb birdie to take a lead. Three is three birdies in a row, and he leads Tiger Woods in the Monday playoffs. Yeah. It felt very, very possible at that point, and that's why I love going back and watching these things because. Your mind gets so fixated on like, oh yeah, Tiger won, but you don't. You tend to forget if you don't like go back frequently. 
how up in the air things can be at certain time points. And at that time point, it was like, whoa, he's going to actually do this. Yeah. yeah, you totally forget. I, I'm just watching the highlights again. I'm like, wait a second. He, he was actually winning on, on, on Monday. I had completely forgotten about that. Did you find yourselves pulling for, you know, it's who were you pulling for that day? You know, the underdog or, you know, America's the world's favorite player? I don't know if there was a player out there that I would have rooted for over Tiger in that time period. I don't know if there was a single one. I, I think I would have gone Rocco. I'm an underdog kind of guy. Like I remember this was like the first live blog we ever did at golfweek.com was because of this. And like every website, when you look back, you're like our biggest traffic day ever was the 2008 U.S. Open because everyone at work, like, oh, yeah. they wow. couldn't, yeah. you know, you couldn't watch it. So you're like refreshing like really bad websites that are doing text updates on there. I mean, this was this kind of changed some of the landscape. It might have set the stage for Twitter, for all I know. But I mean, it was, uh, it was a an unprecedented and kind of a just changed the the way golf media did their job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just to get to the conclusion of the tournament, uh, a really kind of interesting match play classic situation um, on eighteen to force that extra hole, uh, where it looks like advantage Rocco, Wade advantage Tiger. You know. Well, it's funny hearing how Rocco describes it afterwards. He says, when we get to 18 green, it's putting contest. My lead's gone. Like, we're both putting. He's putting for eagle, but I'm putting for birdie. And for, if one of us makes it, we win the U.S. Open. And it does just kind of, not to hammer home. Rocco played amazingly, but hammer home, like, the opportunities that Rocco let slip on that 18th hole. And when Tiger needed it, he absolutely, when he absolutely needed it. And again, at the time, I was 21 years old. I just didn't. I gave, when it happened, I'd be like, yep, of course, like, of course it did. And now, 10 years later, I kind of look at it, 11 years later, I think, man, it didn't have to go in. Like, those things didn't right. have to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And seeing him not win it at the 2009 PGA kind of hammered home, like, oh, yeah, like, this isn't a guarantee that it'll happen forever. But it, it, it did. And there was a bomb that Tiger left it in the jaws on 16. Yeah. If he would have made, like, Tory would have, we wouldn't have gotten to finish because Tory would have fallen off into the right. ocean if he'd have made that putt on 16. Yeah. Um, but 90 holes was like, okay, of course, let's go, let's go for more. Which weird variable seventh hole? Was- well, so I, there's a conspiracy theory is because the seventh tee is right next to 18 green. Okay. Uh, right. Also, by the way, Tiger did have to take a bathroom break after 18, according to an oral history from Bob Herrig. So a little, uh, <laughs> uh, people were nervous about where Tiger was. Uh, a number one time. or number two? <laughs> Just says, uh, or from Jim Vernon, uh, USGA president. Uh, this is from Bob Herrig again. Before we started, Tiger had gone up to take a loo break. Uh, that's what I guess they call the bathroom. That, the blue, I guess. Fans were screaming, and as we were on the tee on top of the stands, a bunch of fans were hanging over the edge. One of them yelled down to Rocco, come on, Rocco, give it your all. And he said, what the hell do you think I've been doing all day? <laughs> <laughs> but take a pour one out for Rocco moment. Like Nobody, he handled this whole thing amazingly. Yeah. And he, he said that a video I watched, like, I ask about it, I get asked about it every single day. Yeah. And I always talk about it. Like It's, always, it's entertaining. It was a highlight of my career. Yeah. And Holds his head high about it. He couldn't have lost with more grace. And he is, it's the perfect like rival for Tiger on this and on this week. So actually a little bit of kind of behind the scenes, but that seventh hole is a big dog leg, right? I remember there were people like, oh, the USGA picked that hole because Tiger likes to play a cut and Rocco plays a big draw. But actually he says afterwards, uh, the Saturday before the tournament uh, on the flight, his driver broke and he got like, he got a replacement. Who uh, is he? Rocco. Oh. Uh, and so he, that driver, the replacement one that he had, occasionally would overcook the hook. And what happens on seven is he hits it in that left fairway bunker because I mean, you have to hit a fade off that tee. And I think they said he was in that fairway bunker like two other times that week. And he just makes a mess from there. But 
Uh, I mean, unfortunately, that hole, it just did not set up well for him. And then after that, I mean, he also was playing with that, I guess, bad backup driver, too. Hmm. I never knew that he had a backup driver. I'm sure, I mean, it clearly worked quite all right for him the whole week. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess the, the overcooked hook was the miss, I guess. <laughs> well, speaking of things we may not have known about the tournament, because, yeah, the seventh hole, the, the first playoff hole of the playoff, um, it wasn't as, uh, it, the fireworks weren't as grand as, you know, the rest of the tournament. But um, other things we may not have known about. Casey, do you have, uh, I know you've got some questions for us to quiz us on some fun facts about the 2008 U.S. Open. I do, and I'm feeling significantly less confident uh, about stumping these gentlemen than when we started. Yeah, man, they're really bringing it. I know, so I'm just going to throw out some softballs first, and we'll just work our way into the... Is it a race? Like, are we buzzing in, or how does this work? No, anyone can can participate, Tom, you included. Oh, Tom's got... There's a little uh, delay on the Skype. He's at a huge disadvantage. Oh, man. So, which top 10 ranked player in the world battled through a broken pinky Sustained Adam o- Scott. Okay. Um, <laughs> I told you to start with the softballs. <laughs> By the way, Adam Scott shut uh, a friend, slammed it in the car door. Is that correct, Sean? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. He also wore a disgusting Argyle mock shirt on box day one. In. Also, the Nike oh, Sasquatch. Box, yeah. I had some flashback. Yeah. Tigers playing with a broken leg and the Nike Sasquatch. All they can be handled. Behind the April. All right, this one, this one, Sean has no chance. As Tiger found himself in a sticky situation, what was the yes? Okay. What was the number one song in the world according to the Billboard Hot 100 for the week of June 12, 2008? Mm. I'm not peeking. Sticky situation sticky. sounded like candy S- to my ears. Fifty cent, like stickiest of the oh, icky. Is this a Snoop Dogg song? Fifty cent. You're very close. Wow. Uh, Candy shop? Or you were looking candy for the store? It was not the candy shop, no. but I see where you're going. Travis also guessed that earlier. Sticky. Uh, um, candy sticky. It'll be a Lollipop by Little Wayne. Oh. Uh, wasn't going to get there. No. Coldplay no, did release there. their uh, Viva La Vida wow. on Thursday of the tournament, and that <laughs> overtook it afterwards. I know that, you were probably well. Cross promotion? Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, tipping out at 7,600 plus yards, Torrey Pines became the longest major championship track to date in 2008. Which course previously held that title? Uh, I, sh- I just played all of them. I should know. Uh, <laughs> <a lot. laughs> Weird flex. Maybe the best flex. I'm trying to think of a par 72. Is the only. Uh... It was another Midwest course. Olympia Fields is going to be my guess. No, it, it was a PGA Championship. Medina? It was Medina oh. at 75, uh, 60. I was, I was thinking US Open. I thought the question was US Open. Yeah, so, that's so did I. That was, I'd like to look at, maybe you might know this, Sean. How many of Tiger's uh, major championships came on par 72? It was a lot. I remember that being like a pre-tournament talking point. Always yeah. like, oh, it has to be on a par 72. You need to put par fives. Also, scorecard yardages are like the most deceptive thing ever. Yeah. They're playing at like 7,300 every day or 7,200. Right. Yeah, right. depending on the pins. Sure. And tees. Sure. Who provided the low round of the week with a sensational 65 on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get any of this these. This is Damn. Heath Slocum. He takes Sean, on Tiger at Liberty Sean, National. Sean, the payoff is me saying Heath Slocum. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
You got to stepping on my lines. Who had the lowest round? Heath Slocum. Other than Heath Slocum, sixty-five. Sean, who had the lowest round on Saturday with a sixty-six? Nobody that finished in the top ten. Wow. John Merrick. No, it was Miguel Angel Hernandez. He, he shot seven. Oh, on Friday. Oh, sorry, Friday. Which rising Eurostar and future multiple major champion came into the week with 125 to 1 betting odds? Keimer. Damn it. Did you really get, just get that? Keimer was sneaky really 40th did. in the world then. The world rankings then are great. Jeff Quinney, by the way, was 50th in the world uh, when the 2008 US Open rolled. How old was Martin? Uh, 23. Yeah, probably around then. I think he was 25 when he won the whistling. I think. Stole whistling. He won it fair and square over Bubba. <laughs> All right. Sorry to, this one's a bit of a downer, but which famous television host and political pundit tragically passed away during Friday's second round? I'm embarrassed that I'm going to say somebody that's not dead, so I'm not going to answer this question. <laughs> I'm going to uh, the guy from Meet the Press. Russell? Wow. Tim, yes. Tim, Tim Russell? Tim Russell. Tim Russell. What a round wow. by Sean. Sean. Ryan Gumbel, and he's been definitely both of the Gumbels are still with us. <laughs> okay. <Gumbel. laughs> if you're just tuning in. Let's not start any rumors here about uh, Casey, bravo, just... man. Fantastic. Um guys, this was a lot of fun. Just wanna one last question for you. I mean, the what ifs that come out of this tournament, because it was so close and a lot of different things could have happened. Westwood could have won a major. Uh, Rocco Mediate could have beaten Tiger Woods, uh, who had a 54 hole lead in the U.S. Open. Um, you know, what if Rocco wins the U.S. Open? What if Lee Westwood beat best Tiger? Um, does golf look different today? I don't think it looks different. I think it, yeah, I think we'd still remember it as Tiger making the run with the broken leg more so than. It's not good. It would have obviously changed those guys' lives a lot right. more, and Lee wouldn't have to carry the burden of best player to never win a major and all that. But I don't think it was like a hey, jumping off point for Rocco Mediate, or maybe it would have for Lee Westwood. Who knows if that's the all like the floodgates opening up? But uh, I I don't think think it would look all that different. I mean, it's our make our, maybe the best Tiger memory we have, but also he had thir- like what's the difference between thirteen and fourteen majors? Like yeah, yeah. it's not not the same as zero to one or one to two it's 13 to 14 uh he didn't have to win this especially considering all the things that were stacked against him but we definitely would be missing probably the top golf highlight of the last but you're missing you would miss all those shots and the allure that comes with them true this is true so So is it the yeah is it the top golf highlight is the top golf tournament that you've seen um in your lifetimes sean and solly and casey Probably. I mean, I mean, I do. 19 is bigger deal. I think 19 Masters yeah. is a bigger deal. This was a better tournament, a more yeah. dramatic unfolding of events. The big thing that struck me when I was the highlight show that I was watching last night was ending is that like he doesn't win another one until six months ago or eight months. Ago. I know. 2008 with like the horrible baggy pants and like the weird equipment and the random names that we're seeing pop up again. Like he doesn't win another one until this year and just and they're talking like oh 14th majors only four short of jack you know here he comes well and like yeah and then it takes another 11 years to win another one and you can't help watch but watch it now and think of like what's to come 
Like, oh my God, this guy has no idea. You're watching Tiger. Like, oh, I know. No idea. I know. And it's nope. just within a year. Nope. Watching you know. had no idea. Well, I found actually uh, Tiger probably had an idea because he was up to all this stuff. But now that you mention that, uh, I found uh, Gene Wojciechowski's column from the his his wrap up column in about the eleventh graph. He says. Woods won the 108th U.S. Open on Monday and once again was caught cheating on his wife, Elon. Cameras captured him kissing the USGA silver trophy this Holy time. Holy shit. <laughs> At what? least it played to get. I that I am reading that verbatim. Oh, my God. So Gene oh. broke the story a year before Sean did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that incredible? Once again, once and I thought, I thought as I'm reading this, I'm saying, do I have my timelines mixed up? Right, right. And does Gene know something? But no, it was just a play on words. Maybe people. But did maybe know. it was a yeah. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't there, no, Casey. Let's sit here. Let's. let's We're see gonna get, get Gene on the phone. Right? I don't think. I mean, everyone was pretty clueless, at least in the media. Being well, a member of the media at the time. <laughs> how much? Do you think, I mean, obviously Rocco would rather won, but I feel like it's better for Rocco's legacy. Like, we're not talking about this if Rocco had won it. That's true. Years later. Would he be a Stu, I don't think he would be a Stu Sink type figure. Like, I think yeah. we would kind of view him like, ah, he stole that U.S. Open from yeah. Tiger. Damn you, Is Rocco. he a Ben Curtis? Hey, that, watch your mouth. Yeah, Ben Curtis, pride of all. Also, Ohio. the feel-good story out of this, maybe, I don't know, small consolation prize, two years later when he wins the fries.com and he holes out four times from the fairway. Do you remember this? Yes, one in each round. Uh, yeah, he, so he held <laughs> out a pitching wedge in the last round, a hole-in-one on a par three in the first round, 160-yard hole out on Friday, and 111 yards on Saturday. Like, a crazy. Rocco was did? that Tiger's start back? No, this is Rocco in 2010. Yeah. No, but the fries was Tiger's first start back when he No, the Masters back. was his first. From the scandal? Oh, yeah, yeah that was the best. But after he made the swing change, then it was surprising. But yeah, he loved Rocco because Rocco was like, I mean, Rocco sounded like a guy who'd like won a contest to play with Tiger on the Monday after the U.S. Open. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm just so amazed to be here. And just kind of, he wasn't like, yeah, he was just in awe of what he was seeing, even though he was also trying to beat him. He sounded like a fan. Yeah, he did. Um, well, one of my favorite Rocco memories is... <laughs> Flipping on Champions Tour golf, and this was kind of, stand bags have kind of become back in vogue a little bit on the couple tour. Rocco has a stand bag, like not like one of the fancy half staff, half stand bag, like a full stand bag, and none of his woods have head covers on them. It was a, a Dick Sporting Goods bag, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't even I know. It, Dick's on it the, looked on the like bag. he could have been, he would have looked more, he would have fit in better if he was wearing jeans while he was out yeah. there. So when he won the two years later they showed the photo he's wearing a short sleeve like rain pullover from that year's u.s open with like the u.s open logo on the breast like he bought it like from that the you bought. yeah <laughs> he's an interesting character um guys i can't thank you enough for the time and uh casey for all the work you put into this as well thanks for all the research you've done want to also thank all our sponsors from the pages of the golfers journal and that's titleist scotty cameron oakley link soul new york private bank and trust and links and kings uh gents get back to your beers and uh hopefully we have a chance to do this again um and talk about another rewatchable tournament somewhere down the line 2008 u.s open or 2019 president's cup that one was tough to watch hideki had a tough finish (laughs) (laughs) always on brand (laughs) Take care, everyone. Thanks for joining us. See you, Tom. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.